0: Welcome, everybody, as as loud as we possibly can. Not like a typical Sunday, as loud as we possibly can in Montgomeryville. You're watching online, too. Yeah, let's let them hear us, man. It's good to be with you today. Hey, I don't know if you were coming for this service and you're waiting. I preached too long last time. And so, and I don't want to leave anything out because we're answering questions that you asked today uh, on abortion. So last week, we talked about abortion. If you haven't been here for the last few weeks, we've been doing a sermon series called What's the Line Uh, next week. Uh, We're going to talk about gender. It should be a fun one. And so uh, kind of a hot topic right now. We're going to talk about gender, what the Bible teaches, right? Not what the world says. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about gender because it says a lot about men and and women. And so uh, we'll talk about that next week. But what we've been doing is talking about a a topic. And then the next week after that, we allow you to ask questions and your questions kind of guide and direct the message. So last week we talked about abortion and uh, somebody asked me, did you get a bunch of questions? Did you, you know, what, what do people, we got a ton of questions. And so some of them very similar. Uh, some of them I, I didn't have time to answer. And so I have eight questions we're going to go over. I want to give you the ground rules of, of uh, the, the, the topic or the, the talk. And so if it's in the Bible, I'm going straight Bible. Like I, I, didn't even, I don't even care if you get up and walk out, right? And so, and just so you know, when we're talking about topics like this, if you have to pee and you get up and you walk out, everybody's going to watch you. So just <laughs> hold it. Are you with me? Just hold it, pee your pants, do whatever you got to do, just stay still. Unless you're walking out and you're mad and to each his own. And so, but I'm just going to give you what the Bible says. If it's not in the Bible, if it's a more modern question, that has happened for a couple of these, I'm going to give you some practical sense from the Bible. Like, what the Bible says kind of build, will build, build the answer there. And if it's not anywhere in the Bible, it's so crazy, it's just not there, I'm just going to give you my opinion. And I'm just going to let you know this is my opinion. And here's the thing about it. You and me can have difference of opinions still like each other. That might be something, our like, our adults, we can't figure that out. We should teach our kids that, right? Like, you don't have to always agree with somebody to get... There's people that I see eye to eye with on almost every area of life but I can't stand them personally there are a lot of them in the church I'm like I don't want to be around you like I don't and there's other people uh that don't go to church at all that have absolutely zero things in common with me that I just like their personality anybody you know what I'm talking about like I'm like you're you're, you're funny right you need Jesus we're working on that but I like you right That's one of, like, somebody, I get my hair cut every week. One of the reasons I get my hair cut every week is because I just like the dudes at the barbershop. I just, I just like them. And so, like, they need Jesus. If they're watching, you need Jesus. And so, and I tell them, but I thoroughly enjoy that hour and 45 minutes that I'm in there because that's how long, because they talk too much. And so, uh, so that's where we're at. So I want to jump right into our questions uh, and kind of move because last time I, I, I talked a little bit more and then we, you know, one minute until... The countdown was over, and I'm going to get yelled at when this is over. So what, number one, what does Emmett Till, some of you here last week, you remember I used Emmett Till. One, one of the people, why, why you got to use Emmett Till? Why you got to bring him into the abortion debate? Why would you use Emmett Till? Now, I thought it was a really good illustration. Apparently, it fell flat for some people. So let me explain to you why I used him. Emmett Till was killed. Uh, he was an uh, African-American young man, 14-year-old, killed, uh, murdered. Uh, by somebody, all right? shot in the head, put in, a, put in a lake down in Mississippi in the 1950s, 40s, uh, somewhere like that. I don't remember all the details. And then uh, they found his body. They brought him back to Chicago, where he was from, on a train. And his mother had a casket, but she didn't have a closed casket. She had an open casket. They asked her, why do you have an open casket? And she said, because I want the world to see the problem in our country. And most people think that the civil rights movement really got kick with this, like, I can't believe this is going on. Let me ask you a question maybe a different topic situation. You guys remember World War II, Nazis, everybody track with me, you. put your hand up, you remember that, and you learned that, and how many, you know how many Jews were killed in World War II? Six million. Six, mi- while the world watched, six million Jewish people were terminated, were killed at the hands of Nazi Germany. You know why the number was so great? Because most people had no idea what was going on when america and england and the allies found out this was going on they decided there we should probably go do something about that so i guess if you want to know why that i'm that i'm doing this I'm, 63 million babies have been aborted since 1973 that's that's the that's the number they have around if i can bring some awareness to the to the evilness of a lot of what goes on i wanted to show pictures of aborted babies but i was told not to do that and so i told you told you you get the pg version of who i am most of the time and so and I didn't do that because I don't want to be filled with grace. I didn't want to trigger people. But if I could bring some awareness, we just get into habits. This is just the way we live life. It's normal. So if it's normal and common, it has to be oh, okay. But I want, to, I want to bring some awareness. I want people to kind of get out of their habitual living of, well, this is just how everything goes. And maybe have what I would call some spiritual eyesight and go, okay, maybe there's something needs to change here. Like anybody Wawa fans here? Anybody Wawa fans? Anybody go to Wawa every morning and wait in line? Just what we do, right? Like You don't beat the rush. You wait in line. I went to Wawa this week. I always wait in the exact same spot for the exact same cash register. I'm like that. Wait in line, get in line, stay on the X. You know, they got all these COVID lines still up. And so you're waiting there and waiting there. And this week I went in and there was a lady yelling at everybody. Here's what she was yelling about. They had put self-checkout kiosks in Wawa. But nobody was using them because we're all creatures of habit. We go, we stand in line, we're supposed to go in, we walk slowly, it's like being on a ride at Disney World. We're 17 minutes late, we lie to our boss, we said we sat in traffic, the traffic was the line in Wawa, (laughs) and she was yelling at people, hey, we have a better way to do it. You have coffee, it's going to take three seconds. She yelled at me, and I just kept my eyes down and stayed in line, (laughs) because that's what we do, and this is when it comes topics like this, we just it's just better. We don't want to make waves. We're just gonna stay in line. And I guess my goal was to make some waves. My goal was to bring some awareness. If I can get one person to see a little bit differently, maybe we'll have a different view of life, we can cause one less abortion in this country. Then I'll I'll do, I'll do that because I want to bring awareness to this topic. So that's why we used Emmett Till. Let me get into the real questions though, as we get going. Number number two is this. I love them. I love these questions. They get they get pretty easy, and then they get really heavy towards the end. And so, uh, number two, I'm pro-life, and I've become very passionate about this topic, but I keep my views to myself for my friends and my coworkers. Well, I, well you understand now. I'm pro-life, but I live in a world where I'm, I'm the odd person out. So I keep it to myself, she says. I don't, I think it's a she, I don't know, maybe not. I feel if I did tell the truth, I'd lose my job. Because you know, in secular humanity, if you don't agree with somebody, even though they're tolerant, they want to destroy you. That's the way the world works. If you don't agree, I, you, you gotta, there's a lot of people I don't agree with, but the Bible doesn't say I can destroy them. This is not a nationalistic thing. I, I, we need to make America a Christian nation. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that Jesus came for a, a different kingdom, a better kingdom, a kingdom not of this world. What what do you do when you have a view that's biblical, but you know it's going to cost you? What's the best way to navigate it? Now, if you're like me, you want to be cool. Anybody else? I'm just going to be frank with you. I don't like to be associated with weird Christians. I I don't want to go downtown and pass out tracks with you. I'm just, can I just be honest? Like, I don't want to stand on the street corner with the big sign talking about abortion with you. I, 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 don't, I don't want to do those things. I'm not embarrassed of Jesus. That's just not effective to me. I, 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 don't, I don't want to go, go to a restaurant and, you know, pray as loud as I can so everybody knows that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Like, and so to the point where I'm a nuisance to everybody else around me. Don't worry about it. I'm praying. Like, I'm not, I'm not like that. Like, I want to play it cool, I want to be central. I don't want not to get invited to the neighborhood cookout, if you know what I'm talking about. I don't want parents on my kid's baseball team not to talk to me when they find out that I'm a pastor. When they start thinking about all the preconceived ideas that they have about church people, I want to separate myself from that. Anybody else tracking with me? Some of you are like, nah, I like to be weird. That's fine. We just probably wouldn't hang out, right? But here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem. A lot of what Jesus says is truth is extremely offensive to people in this world. The Bible says that the cross is offensive to people that don't know Jesus. So you get into this world where you're trying to play it safe and you're trying to play it cool and you don't want to offend anybody, but you're trying to follow Jesus. And I love the word that the person used, whoever you are. You said, I'm passionate about abortion and pro-life, and I'm passionate about this, but I don't want to lose anything from it. Let me just define to you what the word passion is in the Webster's Dictionary so we understand what it is. Passion, passion means a strong or barely controllable emotion. It's barely controllable. You know the second line in the definition of passion, you know what it is in the Webster's Dictionary? You can go Google it. The suffering and death of Jesus. The word passion actually was established on the cross. They looked at Jesus, and they said he's willing to die for people that are spitting on him, that are mocking him, and that don't like him. What did Jesus do? Jesus stepped out of eternity into humanity so that he could save people like you and me that didn't deserve it. That is passion. At its core, passion is a willingness to give up something you love for something you love even more. So here's the question in your life. When it comes to Jesus and people, who do you love more? If you love people more, you love applause more, you love acceptance more, you, you love a pat on the back, you love not feeling weird, it's going to be impossible for you to fully follow Jesus. But if you follow Jesus and you love him with your whole heart and you're passionate about him, you are fully aware. He didn't put it in fine print somewhere and tell you it's going to cause problems. He was crystal clear. Watch what he says in the book of uh, John chapter 5. He says, hey, listen, when the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. It wasn't fine print stuff. Wasn't at the end of the commercial. He says, "If the world hates you, I want, to, I want you to remember, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world will love you as its own. As it is, you did not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world." You want to hear an even less, less uh, cool verse? More offensive? Less woke? Because <laughs> right, everybody wants to woke Jesus now. Like you gotta be woke, like a, like a Jesus that is so uncool. Like this is, this is so uncool because if you think of Jesus. What do we think? He came for peace. He had a perm, parted his hair down the middle, wore a white dress, little blue satchel, right? He was white, even though he's from the Middle East, right? Like, we did a real bad job, job, but didn't have any dirt under his nails because he wasn't a carpenter never got mad at anybody, never ever, you know, controlled anybody. I even like to be called, be like, well, you know who killed Jesus? The religious people. And that's kind of true. But the same people that he was feeding and witnessing to and helping, they were part of the crowd that turned their back on Jesus and said, crucify him. It wasn't just the religious people. It was all of us wanting to be cool. Oh, it's not cool to follow Jesus today. It was cool on Monday. We were fanning him with Hosanna stuff, right, and and palm branches. But now it's cool to crucify him? I want to be cool. What does Jesus say? Watch what he says. This is so uncool, Jesus. He says, do you suppose that I've come to bring peace to this earth? He said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. I didn't come to this earth because it was good. I came to wreck shop. This place is broken. Watch what he says, though. This is is crazy. He says, for I come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not difficult, Jesus. A man's (laughs) enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. What's he trying to say? I'm going to give you truth that sometimes going to cause it to be uncomfortable with people that you love. It's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes for you to faithfully come to church because everybody in the world schedules everything they're going to do on Sunday. You ever notice that? The only thing not open on Sunday is Chick-fil-A everything else if chick-fil-a starts opening on sunday the rapture is coming prepare yourself that is in the bible somewhere right like it's okay i just want i just it's okay it's okay for you to stand up for the truth and for somebody to walk away from you if you've never in your life experienced rejection from christ you're probably not following him wholeheartedly it's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna leave you out. Somebody's gonna think you're weird. Somebody's gonna think you're stupid. Somebody's gonna think you're outdated. Somebody's gonna think you're old. You're old-fashioned. As the world moves away from Jesus, it's gonna be more and more common. Let, let me let me just keep keep going quickly. If God, I like this question. I'm gonna answer it fast. If God gave us free will, then isn't he pro-choice? No, that's a dumb question. Let's keep moving. And so, I'm just playing. It's a good question. I was joking. Would I do that? Although if I could cut one out, I would because this one takes some time. But uh, it's a good question. Okay, God, God's free will. Maybe some of you are like, uh, I'm not a Bible person. What does that mean? So there's an argument in, in, in the Bible based on interpretation of Scripture that God uh, pre, predetermines who's going to get saved. So he looks out on the world. He has people. And uh, he predestines some people to go to heaven. This is actually theology and churches. You can, you can read it. Presbyterian churches. There's a few churches that do this. And I'm not here to argue uh, because what i found is you can argue, and when you're done arguing, you don't even know what you're arguing about. But this is just the- the- theological belief. So they look at the world and they go, there's so many people that won't refuse to love Jesus. How can they turn away from this unconditional love? How can they not receive it? And here's how they logically make sense of it. They're just not predestined not God didn't make them to know him. And so they, he just lets them go. So what he does is, here's just a picture of it. God re- saves us through the gospel. He reaches his hand down to humanity. All of us are humanity. And one pastor did this in his sermon. And he says he picks up some people and he leaves others. Now, for me, biblically, uh, the Bible has a lot of verses how it's not God's will that any should perish. So I don't like that. I think what it does for Christians, it takes the pressure off you. Because you can go, well... I don't really need to tell anybody about Jesus because if they're in, they're in. I don't need to share my faith, right? But if you don't know who's going to get saved and you're looking around and you're thinking it's God's will for everybody to receive him and that anyone in any situation can experience new life in Christ, so here's, here's how we see the Bible. And here's how I see God's, God's will for our lives. I don't think and believe in pre- predestination. I believe in free will. And free will is that God reaches down through Jesus and li- has his hand like this. And mankind, you and me, all of us have the opportunity if we want to reach back and take hold. It's a gift. The Bible says the gospel is a gift. That's not a gift. If you put broccoli in front of your kids and you shove it into their mouth, that's not a gift. Right? That's, that's not luck. Lo- you're going to eat this and you're going to like it, Right? That's not, but if you put a gift in front of your kids, you say, I've given you this gift, I've wrapped it up, I've paid for it, I've taken care of it, I waited in line at the store to get it on Christmas. Here's the gift. What is their responsibility? They can go, I don't want the gift, or they can say, I'll take it. What do they do? They take it and they open it up. That's a picture of salvation. And the, the, when, when somebody's asking about free will, what they're asking about is free will is there because love needs free will. Love needs, God didn't say, you'll love me or else. He said, I love you no matter what, but for you and me to have a relationship where your sin does not separate you from me, you have to receive the gift of salvation that my son accomplished on that cross 2,000 years ago. You're not a good person. You're not just be, you're broken, you're lost, you've messed up, and we're separated, but I'm going to come and get you. That's, that's the gospel, right? But you need to receive it. That's, that's free will. But here's the thing about free will. Free will doesn't give you the right to do whatever you want. That would be like me saying, I got free will, so my kids pissed me off, I beat them up. It's not something to laugh about, but let's just be honest. There's times in your kid's life where you're like, if I could, boy, I just brought you into this world. I'll take you out of this world. That's a parental right saying right there, right? There, 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 there's times that in every one of our lives, we don't want to be faithful to the person we married. We just don't. It's too much work. They're annoying today. There's times I don't want to do the right thing. And so when you say, isn't God pro-choice because he gives free will? Those are two different things. God's not pro-choice. In fact, I put this verse in your your Bible uh, that that, that I want you to read. It was in the very beginning, but I wanted to put it in this one because it made more sense. Proverbs 6. Watch what the Bible says about, about choices we make, if God's for them or against them. Watch what it says. There are six things the Lord hates. Hates, he says. There are seven that are detestable. That word means disgusting to him haughty eyes, haughty eyes, he says, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. That's, that would, I think that's pretty applicable to abortion. A heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in, in the community. He says there's, there's things, I'm not for those choices, I actually hate those things because they wreck things. And so he is free will, but doesn't mean he's pro-choice. Number, number, number four, we're going to move quickly now. Number four, uh, let me get to that. Uh, skipped it. Four, should I marry somebody who says they're a Christian but believes that abortion is acceptable? This is, this is, this is, this is an easy answer. Easy answer. You got to figure out what, what, is, what is important in your life. You got to figure. Whoever you marry either makes or breaks you. Am I preaching right, married, married people? You marry the wrong person right? One pastor told me one time, wrong wife, long life, (laughs) all right? He was telling me because I was getting ready to go into ministry, and when you're in ministry, who you marry determines how far you go. My wife is the best part of my pastoral ministry because she saves me from making a lot of dumb decisions that would have probably got me fired years ago. She's full of wisdom, she, she, she's, she's full of uh, understanding. She cares probably more than I care. Uh, and, and many times she, she's kept me afloat when I, and if I didn't have her, I wouldn't be the person that I'm supposed to be. And I need to tell you something. When you are in conversation, while you're planning on getting married, you should be ha- having conversations about, hey, who are we as people? How many kids do we want to have? What love, where do we want to live? What type of life are we going to live? How committed are we going to be to church on Sunday? What's your, uh, what's your faith? Do you believe in Jesus? That's a good question. Do you love Jesus? Do you serve? Do you serve? What do you do with your money? Well, One of the best questions, hey, how do you handle your money? Are you a tither? Do you put God first in your finances? How do you use your time? What do you do with your time? What what, what, What does that look like? Hey, what do you believe about certain things? What's your view on on conception like that so that sounds like a ridiculous conversation maybe something you shouldn't put on your on your you know your dating account right but probably an important conversation what is your view on life so when you say hey should I marry somebody who doesn't believe in abortion I'll say the same thing of, of any conversation the Bible says don't be unequally yoked what direction are you going if they're not going the same direction don't try to go with them Cut it loose, right? Like they're, they are gonna pull you back. You're gonna pull them back. You're gonna be mad. You're gonna be yelling at each other. No issue is neutral like that. We're not gonna worry worry about it. Like let's figure out who we're gonna be and let's move let's move forward. All right, let's get to some serious serious questions uh, that are that are really good. Number five. What does the Bible say about birth control? Would that be in the same uh, Would that be in the same as abortions or Plan B? Somebody else asked. Many few people asked this. It, is it not God's will for us, if it's not God's will for us to interpret, interrupt a pregnancy as this destroys life, is it okay with God if we use contraception as this prevents life? What a good question. What a great question. This is, this is, this is, anybody have any Catholic friends that have 17 kids? Like this has been something the church as a whole has wrestled with. Because we value life and we, we value you know, conception. And from the very beginning, we read Psalms 139. God formed you in your mother's womb before the foundations of the world. He was thinking about you. What about birth control? What what, what do we do with that? Like, what about plan B? How do we handle all these situations? Am I just supposed to, you know, let God, you know, be in control of my life and not take any precautions and just have as many babies as I could possibly have? Some of you would say, yes, that's the right way to go. More power to you. That's why we're building a new kids wing. You have them, and we will make room for them, right? Right? But others of you are saying, what is the answer? Like, I, I didn't ever really think about abortion. What am I supposed to do? God's sovereign. Like, is he in control of my life? Well, give me as many kids as I, I want to have. And I, I just, like, I think we wrestle with this situation. I started thinking logically about other situations. Like, God is sovereign, but how many of you lock your door at night? Anybody like, oh, God's sovereign. I'm, gonna leave some I'm not going to lock my door. If they break in, they break in. Like many of us go, no, I'm going to lock my door. I'm going to triple bolt this thing. I'm going to sleep with a gun or a hammer or something beside of my bed. Some of you are really, you really jump, you jump up every time you hear something. It's not a robber. You live in Boyertown, right? Go back to bed. It's a cow walking across your property, right? So what is the answer? What do you do with birth control? So let me just kind of work my way through this because this is a question that not just married people ask, but, but, but really, you know, unmarried people ask. So here's the first thing. If you're a Christian... First thing is, uh, don't plan to sin. Birth control is not your your ability to do things you're not supposed to do outside the will of God so that you can stay away from the consequences. And here's what I mean. Romans chapter 13 says, flee from all sexual immorality. So birth control is not there so that you can have sex before you get married and not get pregnant. Now, I know I'm married. I know women from time to time take birth control for certain other health reasons but I'm talking about I take this so that I can go out and sleep with who I want to sleep with right not being married to them and I don't have to deal with the ramifications of being pregnant with them because I don't want to be stuck with them the rest of my life birth control is not there so that you can sin outside of the will of God are you tracking with me but let's just talk about those that then got married like, let's just assume all of you, a few weeks ago, you're like, I'm never having sex again until I get married. He said, have lots of sex. I heard that part of the marriage. I'm working on that part. I'm getting married. I'm stopping looking look at porn. I'm stopping all these things. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a healthy sex life with my wife. We're going to have a family because that's what happens after you have sex, God willing. What do we do, right? I'm getting married. I'm 23 years old. I'm not ready to be a dad. Like, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle this? Are we just supposed to do, let God kind of ha- give us as many kids? What are we supposed to do, right? And so here, here's what I'll say. Number, number two, do the research. When somebody says, okay, well, let's talk about birth control. Is plan B in birth control? Are they the same? Is that the same as a condom or, you know, the pill or whatever other uh, contraceptives that you can figure out to use? Is It's all the same. Is plan B the same as all those? Here's, here's what I'll say. For years, for years and years and years, scientists have known that, pregnancy or conception happens at fertilization so let me just after a lot of my study I'm now an expert at this and so after the act happens a little little guy right sperm will float to the egg they'll have drinks that's what the that's what the article said and after that there's pregnancy it's pregnant but what happens is they take a road trip together to the uterus They swim together, they're holding hands, they're locking them because they're in a relationship now. And they get to the uterine wall and that conceived baby embryo attaches itself to the uterus. And that's where life is given for the next nine months. And the baby grows till eventually water breaks, baby comes out, right? Which so many women are pregnant in our church right now that I'm betting this happens on a Sunday morning somewhere, right? (laughs) Like this would be awesome, right? Now that I know what we, what I know. We can figure it out together. And so just have the baby, right? That's what happens, right? So plan B, what plan B does is the egg and the the sperm, they've united. There's fertilization there, which we would say is life. Plan B comes in, and as they're going to their home where they're going to grow for the next nine months, plan B comes in and essentially causes traffic. And the baby never gets to the uterus and eventually dies contraceptives are different sperm comes in he's like "Woo, this is amazing right he's swimming towards the, the egg he's waving to the egg and the contraceptive comes between the egg and the sperm and says not today call me in a few years right we'll make this happen so i i would say that plan b is a little in my in my opinion plan b is an abortive birth control right birth control pills condoms, all those things, that's just preventing fertilization from actually happening. So in my, in my, I'm just telling you in my, in my opinion, as I did the research, I'm going to lean more towards, towards those things, as we did. I was 22, I was not ready for babies, we waited five, five years before we had kids. And everybody says, anybody says to me they're getting married, they're young, I always tell them, wait five years. They say, why? I say, because it changes everything once you have kids. Go on lots of dates. You know, do all those things. If you have a kid before that, you know, more power too. You'll be a young grandparent. There's always a positive. I'm going to be an old man. My kid's still going to be in the house, right? But I like those five years. And if God would have got us pregnant in that, in sovereignty, we we tried to use protection, we would have got pregnant. We would have went with it because ultimately it's always God's will over my own plan. But I don't think that means that God says, you know what, you got to do with this. I think you have to, you have to, and then I think here's another thing you got to do. You got to do, do the research, and after you do the research, you got to consider the seasons that you're in. How many kids can we afford? How many kids do we want? How many, like, for me, it was like, we have three. That is definitely God's best for me, right? After three, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I don't want any more, I don't want any more kids if God sends us one and we're adopting foster whatever okay we would do that that would be awesome I'm open to that but as far as getting pregnant again and doing it again as a 42 year old man I I said no Abraham can be in that club by himself right like (laughs) so I think you just do the research you talk about the season and then here's the thing you proceed with a clear conscience it's this is not this is my opinion some of you are like I'm gonna no we're never gonna use birth control more power to you some of you have used different forms of birth control. I, I, I'm, I'm not the doctor in this, and I'm certainly not God. And so then you proceed with a clear conscience in areas where we don't have exact answers. And so you, it's not about, listen, this isn't about yelling at you, telling you did it wrong, telling you you made a mistake, hey, you took plan B years ago, you aborted your baby, carry around that shame with you. This is, once again, let's just be aware, let's do research, let's understand what we're, the decisions we're making, and let's move forward with a clear conscience. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Come on now. You're acting like first service. And so, uh, let's go. Number six. These these are really, these are where they get heavy. I'm pro-life, but pro-choice when the mother's life is in danger. During an ectopic pregnancy, the fertilized egg can't survive outside the uterus if left to grow and may damage nearby organs and cause life-threatening loss of blood. Is this acceptable place to step in, or do you believe it's God's will? So, so. Let me just explain. After I, I know this is a small percentage of women, but there's still women going through this. So let me just, let me just answer that. Laura, you can come play, play me out. Uh, but one in 50 pregnancies is what they call tubal pregnancy. So it's, it's actually not that uncommon. Every year, 100,000 women um, get pregnant, and the baby, uh, the egg, and the sperm, they swim. They go, they're trying to get to the uterus, and they attach themselves uh, to the fallopian tubes. let see how much research I did. And so... Tubal pregnancy. And in that situation, when that baby gets there, it's guaranteed death. It's, it's not, it's not going to live. There's, maybe someday they have, a, they have a, a medical breakthrough where they can go in and they can relocate that. That would be amazing and stick it into the uterus. But in that situation, that baby's going to be in that tube. And in worst scenarios, and probably going to happen, that baby will grow and eventually blow up the fallopian tube and the, the mom can die. And the reason it's important is because uh, we, in our world, we like to go worst case scenario to justify decisions, right? And so it's like, okay, we know abortion's probably wrong. It just is. Like, it doesn't really matter what you say. If you actually do research and you actually see what happens and you see what they do to babies and you understand the situation, under- like, it's, it's almost impossible if you're actually there in it to say, oh, that's, that's, this is okay. Most people walk away going, this, this is bad, but... What about situations like this? Because if we make the rule there's no abortions, what about situations where there's ectopic pregnancies, where like the woman's life is in danger? What, what, what do we do? And I know this is, this, is, this is a hot topic, and it's actually being used to create confusion because Planned Parenthood, which is the number one provider of abortions in America, changed the wording on their website uh, from, from July 14th to July 21st. They changed the wording. You can go research it. It's not, it's not a lie. They knew this was going to be a hot topic. They want to create confusion. They don't want to bring light to the, the, what, what actually goes on. So they want to create confusion in our hearts. So here's what they said in, uh, in, on 7:14. It said this on their website. It said the medical procedure for abortions are not the same as the medical procedures for tubal pregnancies. In other words, they're not abortions. Because technically, an abortion is when you remove a fetus, a baby, or an embryo from the uterus an ectopic pregnancy, you remove this child that's been fertilized, that's gonna die from the fallopian tubes. It's not the same. One is elective abortion. You know what elective abortion is? I elect and I choose the right for you to live, and I don't want you. I don't want you. In the other situation, it's I don't even have the option. I don't have the option. Like. Let's just talk to the millions of people who've lost a baby through miscarriage. The women in our church—like it's not something we—you're just a statistic. Like, it's not—it sucks. I mean, we could just talk. I mean, we lost a baby when on our when we were going between two and two and three. We were seven weeks in. I remember I shared the story with you. If you were here, I said we had this stressful moment. I thought my hands were turning blue. I thought I was having a blood clot. My jeans were dark blue, and I was rubbing my hands on my jeans. And it's a long story. And so. But the rest of the day, after I got back from the emergency room, it was just a devastating moment. So I hate it that we lump it in because it's really not even an issue. It's like, it's like being put in a situation. I started thinking about it. If you're a nurse in the army, you're in war, and you have friends you're trying to save, and, and you have two friends that you're deeply close to, and you show up, and they're laying beside each other, and one of them has been shot in the head and is literally bleeding out not conscious and the other one's been shot in the in the leg and is fully conscious and has a great chance to live in that situation you can only save one what do you do you choose, you choose the greater moral good you, you, you save the one who you know prize this one's dying like he's not gonna make it i hate saying bye to him but for me to save this one i gotta let this one go that's the situation you have a mom who's gonna die with a baby who's already dead you save the mom come on next question don't carry that and we don't even want to talk about it because it's a ridiculously tough scenario that we should be praying about we should be pleading over we should be encouraging let me just give you a few more questions number seven is the, is the toughest one by far of the day and i knew somebody would ask it in fact many people we had three pages of questions probably one page of questions was just on this topic You talked about abortion and uh you talked about that what are your thoughts then on incest and rape people who get pregnant um, is abortion at the rate, is that, is that acceptable? Like, is that more acceptable? And then, of course, uh, we go to the, the story of the 10-year-old in, in, in Ohio, I believe. And somebody said this. They said, in Ohio, there was a 10-year-old girl that was raped by a family member and had to cross states to have an abortion performed. And under these circumstances, are we really going to say that God would not approve of the child aborting the pregnancy? And honestly, I was like, I don't, even, I don't want let somebody else talk about this. Because it's another one of those where we take, we take the, the hurt and we just make it a part of, well, we don't even think about the person. Like we do with the 10-year-old. Oh, let's talk about 10-year-old. The but listen, there's thousands of girls, right? many girls in our church that have been raped. And we just kind of lump them in. What do you do with rape? Let's make sure this is legal. Case of rape. We don't even talk about the significance of what happened to that person. So let me first talk to the person who's been raped in our church, maybe listening online, and let me just make sure you understand, in that situation, you're not alone. It's not your fault. You're not less valuable than you were before because something was taken from you. Let let me just make sure you understand, this is a safe place to come in with hurts like that. It's a safe place. It's a place full of light. Satan hates, he hates light because light brings healing. So let's first start, start there. Let's not, let's just get, make an issue uh, and forget about the people that have been through it. And let me just say with as much pastoral care that I can that I get that decision. I really do. I don't have girls. I have three boys. So it would be really easy for me to say, it's, it's, it's fine, keep the baby, have the baby. Next question. And that's, that's if I'm truthful with you, that's where I'm going to land, but it doesn't mean we don't wrestle through that. It doesn't mean we're not brokenhearted through that situation. That's why we first started talking about godly sexuality, because if we could fix that, this stuff wouldn't be happening. We wouldn't be so addicted to pornography that we devalue another person to the point where they're just an object to pleasure us. This would actually get fixed. We would begin to see people as a daughter or a son of God. You would understand that you're going to be held accountable based on how you treat that person because their God's not yours. Are, are you tracking with me? Like stuff would change in our society if we got that right, but our society's broken. And so what do you do? You know, a, a girl asked this one time. She was at Christian college. and She said, I, got, I went on a date with this guy, this great Christian guy, and he took me out and we were by ourselves and he forced himself on me and I felt so shameful. Four weeks later, I didn't have my my period and I went to take a test and I found out I was pregnant. I didn't know what to do. So in my shame I went to the counselor at a Christian university and I expected her to give me an easy answer and tell me it's gonna be okay and value the life inside of me and God is sovereign and she told me if I was you I would have an abortion. And it broke my heart. Because what I found in that answer is we're we're asking the wrong question. The The question is it's not that that's life like that's life the question is when did love start for that little boy little girl in that in your stomach and love doesn't start with you because before the foundations of the world God loved them God knew the scenario and the situation that they would come into this this world and for some reason in his sovereign understanding he has a good and purpose filled plan for their life in fact one of my favorite verses a verse I apply to myself a lot is in scripture, uh, the Bible tells us to overcome evil in your life with good. Good. doesn't say you've been done wrong. The way to fix it is to to do wrong. And trust me, I've been through that. I went back to Boyertown yesterday. Uh, My kids were at a party, so I was like, we're close to Boyertown. I guess we're going to Boyertown. We were out, and there was a metropolis of people out in Boyertown. They were having a Harry Potter festival And uh, talk about a fish out of water that was me and I'm from there so I was there And we're walking around you know we're gonna go to this this restaurant and I started seeing a few few people uh, that used to go to our church years ago interactions with them and there's been closure there but there was a moment in my life when I was 25 years old that I started this church that four or five families that I still run run with run around and and see sometimes all got together And left our church and said really awful things to me on a phone call, one after the other, and it broke me. And I look back on that and I think to myself, if I would have been in that situation, allowed that hurt to cause me to do the next thing, what I wanted to do is I wanted to to curse, I wanted to yell, I wanted to quit move back to Oklahoma. But I remember reading this verse. What do you do when it feels like evil is done Do you? Overcome evil with good. What was the good I could do? Get up brush yourself off, take what some of they said, apply it to my ministry, ask God sovereignly to build this church, and keep going. And you overcome evil in your life with good. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you, what would I do in that situation in the most painful, broken, humble way? I, if it was my child, I would say, listen, this is an awful situation, but that baby, that baby is not, is not evil. That baby has a plan. And the most gospel thing we could do was we can raise that kid together and tell them about a God that has a good purpose-filled plan for their life. And it's hard. I get it. That's, that's difficult. The question is not life. When did love begin? Before the foundations of the world. Let me just give you one more, one more, one more question. This is, this, is, this is, I thought, a good way to end. Somebody in our church says, I've had abortions before I knew Jesus. And it's probably a lot of people. And let's just to be honest I've had an abortion before I knew Jesus some of us would say I had an abortion after I knew Jesus I got messed up I'm filled with guilt and shame and my heart breaks daily for these terrible choices I'm completely against it today and I want to share my stance on my faith and how God made me a new person but I worry I'll be judged harshly and viewed as a hypocrite or worse that I'll give Christianity a negative view so I struggle I don't know if I should share this with others or I should keep it quiet. It's such a sensitive, serious topic. I I started thinking about that person and we had another question and I just wish I could get rid of all of you and put that person that asked that question, whoever you are, in the same room with somebody who said this. uh, If you've had an abortion in the past but have since been saved and followed Christ, can you be forgiven and have everlasting life in heaven? I wish I could get the one person who's been saved and they're struggling with their past a little bit, but they may, maybe explain to them, hey, that's, that's, that's the gospel, to sit in the room with the other person it says, can I move forward? Can I be forgiven? Can I be set free? And I just want to remind you. I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel doesn't say, you were good, so I took you. You're better than most people. You were talking right. You were looking right. You were cleaned up. So I, I, I wanted you at my church, in my club. The gospel says why you're still a sinner. while you were at your lowest. Why you were carrying around your greatest baggage. Why you made your greatest mistake. That Jesus Christ was dying for you on the cross. That he loves you more than you can imagine. And we don't, we don't get to share our faith because of the great things that we've done. Why do we share our faith? Because of the great things that Jesus did. And can I just, who better to share of the redemptive power of Jesus Christ through an abortion than somebody who's been through an abortion. Who better to talk about how Jesus can break addiction than somebody who's been an addict? Are you tracking with me? I don't want to hear from somebody who's always been clean that Jesus changes lives. Like, what, what have you been through? I want to see, man, you've been through hell and back, and Jesus saved you and set you free. And if he could do it for you, maybe he could do it for me. In Isaiah 61, the prophet reminds us that he gives us beauty for ashes. I love that because ashes represent death. They would put ashes on their head so that everybody would see they're walking around with baggage. And he says when God comes into your life through Jesus Christ, he gives you beauty for ashes think about all the things that were were taken from you that you thought were dead that you thought were gone that you thought were over but jesus came into your life and he restored and set free we don't talk about jesus because we're good we talk about jesus because he's that good in our lives amen he has the the ability to forgive us as far as the east is from the west let me just tell you, I, the, the girl who asked that question can i be forgiven when you come to christ he forgives your sins as far as the east is from the west got any geography fans here some of you are like i don't know geography what does that mean <laughs> let me just explain this because i love to talk about this if i go west right now i'm going to get to the promised land which is oklahoma right <laughs> and eventually you are can go past oklahoma and you're going to get to the other world we call california wife was like, we should go vacation now. No, we shouldn't, right? No, we don't, right? You get to the Pacific Ocean, and then you get to, to Asia, I believe. Am I right? And then after Asia, you get to Africa and then maybe you hit a little part of Europe if you're trying to you know see some sights and then you get to the Atlantic Ocean and you come across the Atlantic Ocean and you come into the port of in New Jersey the beautiful clear beaches of New Jersey and you get back on the road and you travel this way and you've gone east all the way west eventually you get so far back again and you're back east again and so here's what God is trying to tell you when he forgives you and you try to ta- chase it the Bible says where sin increase in your life grace increase all the more You can't even find it anymore because he forgets it. You might try to run after it, but it's just staying ahead of you. You're like those dogs on the track chasing that thing they used to put a rabbit on there. You're never going to catch it. Stop running. Rest in the peace and forgiveness of God. When he forgives you, he says it's dead and gone. He doesn't expect you to carry it around anymore. That's not doing justice to the cross. That's why church is a place of freedom. Amen? Would you stand to your feet all over this place and would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And just quickly all over this place I don't know if if, if you're here You need some freedom I, I, don't, I don't Like talking about these things Because they bring They bring anger and they bring arguments And they bring You know confront you with your mistakes I, I, I like to talk about these things Because I feel like more people than Probably ever talk about it Carry around baggage And shame And secrets And I, I just I just hate that for you. I think there's a better life. There's a God that loves you, forgives you, heals you, makes you whole, allows you to walk in freedom, allows you to walk in forgiveness, allows you to wake up and not constantly look back, but look forward. Look forward to the God of your future, to the God who walks walk with you in your present, to the God that's not embarrassed of your past or ashamed of your past, but will heal you and make you whole. I just love that message. I don't stand up here because I'm good. That's not, that's not what the Bible says about me. The Bible says I'm broken. The Bible says I'm I got a lot of baggage in my life. The Bible is clear that I'm not worthy of a relationship with God on my own grounds. But through Christ, my sins are forgiven and I'm made whole. And I love that message because it can reach anybody in any situation. Anybody, any situation. Anything you're struggling with, anything you're carrying, any mistake that you've made, any, anything in your life, any scar that you've developed, Jesus can meet you there. He died on a cross for your sins, the Bible says, and he rose in power. When he rose in power, the Bible says that he defeated both death and hell. And it's through him that everyone can become a brand new person. If you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Maybe it has been overwhelming to you. Maybe you would say, like so many before, it feels like as you're speaking, that you're speaking directly to me, like you knew I was coming today. And I'll remind you that that's not me. It's not about me. It's not about our worship team. That's the goodness and the presence of God in this place. He knew where you were going to come, He knew what seat you would sit in, He knew what Sunday you would attend. And He wants to change your life forever. It starts with hum- humility. I humble myself before the Lord. I need a relationship with him. I can't live this life one more moment. Jesus, would you save me and would you set me free? And a prayer of faith, the Bible says, changes us forever. So with nobody looking around in this place, real quickly, in Phoenixville, and Montgomeryville, if you would say, hey, that's me. You're speaking to me. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need mercy. I need hope. I want to pray with you as we close, maybe you've never prayed before in your life, prayer is simple, it's like talking to a friend, Jesus come into my life right now, here I am, I know you see me, I don't want to walk out of this place without you, without you all over this place, I need some grace, I need some forgiveness, I need some mercy, would you just begin all over this place to respond by shooting your hand straight in the air and saying, hey pastor that's me, I need Jesus to come into my life right now, I need him to heal me, I need him to make me whole, if you're in Montgomeryville and you say, hey that's me." We're going to wait right here. You just place your hand straight up towards heaven and say, hey, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I see a hand all the way up here. Is there anybody else? Hand right here. Is there anybody else? Another hand back here. Just keep your hand held high in Montgomeryville. I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Now let's begin to pray all over this place. Lord, we love you, and Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, Lord. It enables us, your word and your presence, to literally talk about anything. To come into this place and lean on your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness, Lord. That this is not a place of condemnation. This is not a place where we remind people of all the awful things that we've done, Lord. But Lord, we are, co- we are we collide with who we are before you. And Lord, we're comforted by who we can be in you. And so Holy Spirit, would you just begin to have your way in this place, Lord. Lord, as we pray simple prayers, Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're going to come in. You're going to fill them up all the way, Lord. You're going to bring joy, and peace, and comfort, and hope, and forgiveness, and most importantly, freedom and love, Lord. Lead this place, and they feel that love. Lord, I thank you for all that you continue to do in this church, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we can, we can lean into your presence, Lord. We can come into this place expectant, and you never let us down. This is not just a room. This is not just a building, Lord, but this is a place where we get to meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for how you change and impact us. And as we leave this place, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to go be your church. In Jesus' good name we pray. One more time, would you shout amen with me? Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, Visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.